Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Hey, Soul City Church. My name is Jared. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City, and I am so excited that you are here with us. If you are here with us as our local church here in the West Loop, or if you're part of our global church around the world, or if you're in our live studio audience at this recording right now, uh, this weekend we're kicking off our Voices Summer Series where we ask people that we love and respect to speak into our church out of their lives and to help us see God and experience God in fresh ways. And today I am so excited about who we have to kick off this year's Voices. He's a Grammy award-winning artist, winner of BET's Best Gospel Artist, winner of Too Many Dove Awards to Count, best-selling author, actor, producer, activist, husband, and father of a preteen, a tween, and a teenager. So y'all know how to pray for him right now. Soul City Church, will you welcome our friend Lecrae? Lecrae, listen, how about that? It's that last oh, one, man. man. It's about the kids. That's the one, man. I'm telling you, that's the one. That's where God is. I need him. I need all the strength I can get right there. Yes, be praying for this father. Forget about his career. Pray for this father of teens. Listen, yes. I am so grateful that you have made this time for us, for our church. Thank you so much for carving out. I know you have a very full and very busy schedule, so it means a lot to us that you would make this time for us. And so for those of you, our folks who may not know you, uh, you are a performer, you are a writer, like I said, producer, rapper is probably one of the easiest ways that people know you. And so I asked you a couple of days to think about if you had to go in on your top three MCs. We're gonna start here. We'll get to like the, the Jesus stuff later, but let's get into this. And I know you have some deep thoughts on this and we may have to actually duke this one out. <laughs> your top three MCs of all time, Lecrae, who would it be? This person, all right. This person. Top three MCs of all time. Now. Now. <laughs> now listen. Here's, here's what you got to understand. Okay. okay. Here's what you got to understand. Right. Um, you know, th- there's there's far, there's at least 10 that should be. Okay. Here, I got I'm going to give you three. Yeah. Of course. There's 50, 100. I'm going to give you three. But we're doing three. Right. We only have 30 minutes. <laughs> Number one on my list. Yes. Uh, being that I am in the South, from the South, living in Atlanta, Georgia, yes. is Andre 3000. Wow. Three We're just, me and my son were just talking about if Andre should be on that list or not. Okay. He okay. absolutely okay. has to be okay. on the list. Okay. You got to have Andre 3000 okay. on the okay. list. He's Fair. a huge contributor. Um, the next, I have the late, great Tupac Shakur. Okay. okay. Yeah, we had that Tupac conversation is, the other day. Of course. Of course. Classic. Classic. Can't go wrong. And, and now... Here's where it gets a little twisted, okay. all right? It's okay. going to get a little twisted because if I have more room, yeah. obviously Jay-Z has to be in Gotta there, be, right? Yeah, top five at least. Jay-Z has to be in there. Right. However, okay. I want to give some of the contemporaries an, an, an ability to shine, so I'm going with Kendrick Lamar. Really? With Kendrick? I'm going with Kendrick Lamar Listen. because it's, it's a new season, new era, yeah. new time. Look at, you're, and you're so just... it's not that I'm knocking Jay-Z off. It's just no, I'm, no, no, I'm no. introducing Kendrick. You got to make room. You got to make some more room for the young bloods. I that's got it. it. Okay, that's, that's good. Is. That's very different from mine. My son and I had a long theological conversation about this the other day. 
<laughs> and our lists are kind of similar. I got I got Rakim at the top. You have that's for me. Okay. Like the R, you got to go with Rakim at the top. And then it's a toss up for me between Jay. I had Jay on mine as well. And then Nas. I kind of yeah. So I'm kind of Nas is iconic. It's all so that's all like East Coast for me. I wish I'm from. He's in Cali. my top five. I know, I know. I wish I could get some of the younger ones. We had the conversation about Tupac, but. Listen, there's room in the kingdom of God for all of us, right? There's a big table that we're all invited to. So I, I would love for folks, you know, because you are so talented at what you do. What was your sort of first exposure to hip hop or to music? You know, what was that thing where you heard it and went, oh, that, yeah, that, I want to I be a part of that. What was that? Do you remember what that was for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have some older cousins who uh, were really big into hip hop when I was around five or six, and um, I was staying with my grandmother and they were staying there for that summer. And um, it was bedtime for me, but they were still up. And I was like, what are they doing in there? And so I snuck out of bed and I went into the living room and I saw them watching rap videos. And I was just like, what is this world? <laughs> um, as I peered over their shoulder. And what was really intriguing to me was the characters on the screen looked like the people in my community. And so I was like, wow, this looks like people I know. And then, then I saw a little boy in the video and I was like, oh, it's over now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I was just, it was so relatable. And I was hooked after that. And they, they finally caught me peeking around the chair and they were like, come on in here, man. And then <laughs> I, I got to watch rap videos with them every night. Oh, that's awesome. So, for, so from a pretty young age, I mean, you saw it and heard it and said, well, that's me. I get that. And then, Eventually, yes. it was, that's what I want to be about. That's what I want to kind of, you know, get into for my life. That's pretty incredible. Was there, yeah. What was the, the process for you? Because I know people can look at, you know, your life. And we just said a second ago, I mean, very successful. have achieved a ton of what so many artists would love to achieve a little portion of in their life. But it did not happen overnight for you. It's not like you just came on the scene. This has been a journey uh, for you, and even at times a struggle. Talk a little bit about that journey for you to sort of get to where you're at today. And I know you're not done with where you're at today, but talk to us a little bit about your story, your, your journey. Yeah, well, um, you know, as I said, um, I, I was living with my grandmother for a period of time, and that's because I grew up in a single parent household. My father, um, you know, had his fair share of struggles with addiction, incarceration, um, as did a lot of men in my family and upbringing. So the, the pathways that I saw for myself um, were not very promising. And I kind of have always anticipated being incarcerated because I thought that was just the, the ends to, you know, the, the world that I existed in. Um, but what was really awesome was that I had these amazing aunts and an amazing mother um, who would send me letters and postcards from their travels. And I, and I recognize that we can do more than live in this community. We can go other places. Mm -hmm. And um, it inspired me. And so I always wanted to travel. That was a big thing for me and um, see new things and new experiences. And so the, the I used to watch uh, a, a show called A Different World mm -hmm. uh, as mm -hmm. a kid. Yep. And uh and it was a bunch of college students, right? And I was like, wow, college, this sounds amazing. I aspire toward it. And I didn't get accepted into the school that I wanted to get into, but I did get accepted into a school, which to me was an adventure. Yeah. And so even though I was on this kind of path of self-destruction, there was always something in me that said, I've got to get to college to, to continue the adventure. Yeah. What ended up happening in college was I, I came to faith uh, railroaded everything I had ever imagined, um, changed my whole process and plan. 
And since then, it's been me trying to figure out how to use my upbringing and the struggles and trials and tribulations that I grew up with, merge them with this new ancient story and transformation I've experienced and then use it, you know, for some greater purpose. And that's the short version of yeah. what my life is. Yeah. Like. So, I mean, really, that that was the inciting incident. It was coming to faith in college you know, and that really did kind of set a trajectory for your life. Now, were you involved in music at that point or did that come out of that time? Yeah, so the funny thing is, is that I always knew I wanted to do music. Um, I always had that passion. Um, I didn't know how it happened. You know, I lived in in random places, you know, um, that, that were not hip hop meccas. Right, uh, right. At the time, Houston, Texas or Denver, Colorado or San Diego, there was right. no scene right. that you could in, enter the hip hop uh, scene with. And so, um, so, you know, what, what happened for me was I just did music on the side for fun. I rap at the cafeteria table, do rap battles, things along those lines. And, um, you know, the, the unique and awesome thing that happened for me was that, um, I, I found, I got a scholarship to go to college, perform an art scholarship, and they had a music program. And the school nurse said to me, uh, sweetheart, Diddy is not looking to see what degree you have. <laughs> so he's not, he's not said, scouting oh. schools to see who the... Right. Okay, okay, okay. I, I thought about it. I was like, why? Wow. So I said, let me just hurry up and get out of school with this like marketing degree right, 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 and right. just get out of here and, and run off to, you know, pursue music outside of this school system. Yeah, that's awesome. And then just from there, you know, the all the that kind of story of the success and struggle and all the ups and downs that no one ever really wants to pay attention to, but it's a part of everyone's story. I mean, that's been a part of yours as oh, well. Oh man, what a journey. I mean, I'm talking about it. First, I was an intern for a, a major rap label uh, based in New York, and it was not glorious at all, um, trying to figure out how to make something happen. Then, of course, I've become a Christian and hip hop labels didn't want anything that had to do with Christianity right. and Christian music didn't want anything that had to do with hip hop. Right. And so you know, my friends and I started a radio show and then we're, we have this little group on campus who loves what we do. I go to the bookstore, the Christian bookstore. I'm like, Hey, would you guys, uh, can I sell my CDs here? They was like, we'll sell one. So they took one yeah. and I sent my friend in there to go buy that sold one. Out. And then they sold said, well, out, man. Yeah, sold, out. sold out, man. Yeah. <laughs> so we just kept repeating that process until they oh, said, all right, man. give me the CDs. All right. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know, I know for you too, that music is not is certainly not everything. While it's a big thing, it's certainly not everything to you. It's not the only thing to you. And what I love about who you are, we have some mutual friends that kind of know you outside of that whole world and know about the work that you're doing in Atlanta. I, I would love for you just to take a minute to talk about the work that you're doing, like with Peace Preparatory School, um, what you're doing in the Bluff, which if, if folks don't know, the Bluff is one of, it's certainly the roughest neighborhood in Atlanta, one of the roughest neighborhoods in the country. And you are, are doing a... a a regentrification or a degentrification, you're kind of flipping that neighborhood for the community. Uh, there's work that you're doing with local leaders on Fresh Food Fridays, the Free Fruit Fridays. So talk to us a little bit about that work that you do that's just offstage, no one knows about, but it's a part of your sort of calling and your work in this world. Yeah, I, I um, you know, was looking, always looking to serve in, um, in marginalized communities. So I took three years out of my life. When I got out of school, I moved to one of the worst communities in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, my wife and I mentored kids. We did a lot of programs in the city. 
And when we got to Atlanta, we wanted to get engaged and involved, but we just couldn't figure it out. And we were praying that God would open up our eyes and help us see how we should serve. And, um, and I was asked to come to the bluff by uh, a guy who was a teacher in Texas. And he's like, He's like, man, I want to build a school right here. And I was like, right where? <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, are you serious? And he's, he's like, man, there hasn't been a school here in 20 years. And the kids don't have anywhere to get educated. There's no food. It's a food desert. Like, I want to change this, this community. And I was like, Lord, I think you're talking to me right now. And uh, so I partnered up with him, my good friend, Ben Wills. And we commenced to start uh, rallying to build a school. This was five years ago. Um, and, and that was a group of kindergartners. You know, we started with a group of kindergartners and now five years later, we have K through five, um, a whole community where kids get food, uh, they get education, they get, uh, it's Christ centered, um, and they get mentorship and so many other programs and people have just come in and the whole community's changed. And now the families around the school are saying, man, you know, uh, how they, they we, we recognize their needs. And so we partnered with um, another company organization to build these amazing um, homes for people in the community, but they're at cost mm. so that these the people in the community don't have to pay extra money. And uh, we just put them through some financial literacy classes. And one of the coolest things ever is to see the face of someone who comes in that community and says, wait a minute, is this, can I live there? I can't afford to live there. And we said, no, this was built for you because you are made in the image of God with dignity and with purpose. And you should live here as much as anyone else should. And they're blown away. And we love it. Man, I love that. I love that work. And even focusing in on a community, on a neighborhood that many folks have forgotten and would, you know, drive around or have, it's been greatly under-resourced or overlooked to say, no, 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 no. God is at work here. Every single person in this community matters here. And that faithfulness, that commitment, you know, we talked about the other day, that, that long obedience in the same direction. You know, it's like, I'm going to keep planting and sowing these seeds uh, is commendable. And I know you don't do it for anyone to give you any credit. I know you bring some folks in with you, you know, like other performers and stuff. And it's like, this is not about autographs. This is not about, this is about serving. And I, I think that right. I, for what it's worth, I think that's incredibly commendable and a part of the work of the kingdom of God. So thank you for doing that in a city that Jeannie and I love. We, you, we love Atlanta. So I love that you're there and, and committed to that community. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, is known about you is that both on stage and off is that you are uh, committed to that work, that deep work of, of justice and equality, kind of using your gifts and your voice to really kind of raise awareness to issues and matters of justice and equality. You've been consistent. You've been outspoken about this, about the divine dignity of our brown and black brothers and sisters. Like this, is, this has just been a part of who you are. But that has been true while you have also been in largely white spaces, and uh, Christian circles. And shockingly, yeah. that's not always a message that those circles or groups want to hear. Talk to us a little bit about what it means to be faithful to that work, faithful to your voice, um, when it isn't always welcomed, wanted, or sought out. Talk to us a little bit about that. Boy, uh, you know, in those moments, you really learn to relate to the person of Christ. Mm. Uh, you you relate to how folks did not want to hear what he had to say and how he was definitely on the margins in terms of popularity. <laughs> um, but but what I realize is that um, the work 
has to be done. There's always a need. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King, his his he was not very popular at the time of yeah, his that's death. Right. right. It's only post his death that we appreciate him for the work he did. And um, and so similarly, I recognize and realize that, you know, there were many people during the time of slavery who were like, why, why are you opposing this? There's nothing wrong. Like, just let it be. This is the way society works. And at the time, anyone who opposed slavery, the abolitionists would have been looked upon as like, man, these people are crazy um, and ungodly. Mm-hmm. And, and so I look at some of those people, some of the MLKs and William Wilberforces and realize and recognize that they were fighting against the grain and going against the grain of even what Christians thought yeah. was the right thing. Yep. Um, in order to really follow the Lord. And it's lonely and it's difficult and it's tough. And I've had death threats and people have said, I can't follow you anymore. And I can't come to your shows anymore. And I've lost all kinds of support. And mind you, not for me being rude or callous, but me just saying, hey, you know, let's have a conversation about racism in the church and people are like oh see this is what i'm you sh- you stick to the gospel yeah, to pray yeah, you know yeah, and i'm yeah, like well this yeah, is yeah, the implication yeah, yeah, yeah. of the gospel Man. um and so some of that has been really tough and um the thing i would say is 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 this is is for anybody in that in that fight it's a worthy one um if you're fighting with hope right if hope is the ultimate outcome um because the tomb is empty and that's why I can keep moving forward. Uh, It was empty during the civil rights era. It was empty during slavery, during the trail of tears and it's empty today. And if it's empty, then death is defeated. And if death is defeated, then what we're looking at now is nothing uh, to fear. And so that's what keeps me moving. Man, that's a good, that is a good, good word, especially for folks who are maybe after this last year, you know, feeling discouraged that we have not seen more change. We have, you know, a lot of folks talk, but not a lot changing. And to be reminded that that's not what our hope is in. As much as we need to see that, want to see that, our hope is in the reality of resurrection. And that if that's my hope, I can press on, I can move forward, even in the face of opposition, rejection, whatever it may be. Man, I appreciate that. And I appreciate, you know, one of the things that I love about you is, in your music and also in your writing, uh, you lay it all out. I mean, it's not like, you know, I just, I I love that you're so honest and raw and real and you'd think that would be the norm, but especially in in music and especially in hip hop, that's not always the norm. You know, there's usually a lot of bravado and a lot of bragging and making stuff up, but you come at it from a very real perspective. And in your, your book that came out this last fall, I Am Restored, you talked about um, some abuse that you suffered in your life as a child and the trauma then that became a part of your story. Again, as a child that you, you know, didn't know how or what, have the tools to deal with, but how you're seeing the healing work of God in your life uh, through this trauma work. And I, I wonder if, if you would just sort of speak to some of that journey or that process to us as you're doing that work yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> We, we, we all, um, you know, we all have this tendency to um, find coping mechanisms for hard things and um, what I call functional saviors, right? What, what's, 
maybe it's food or maybe it's alcohol or whatever it may be. Typically, it's something sensual. When I say sensual, I mean the five senses, because if it's not spiritual, it's something sensual to, to make yourself feel alive. You know, your, your taste, your, your um, something to the eyes or feel, you know, people want to feel alive. And, um, and I thought that because I had found God that, you know, I didn't have to deal with any of those past traumas. It's like, oh, yeah, we deal with it spiritually. Right. But the truth of the matter is, is that the traumas that I experienced as a child and, and as a, you know, um, a teenager were not ever dealt with right. maturely. I know we like to believe like, well, once you find God, everything is wiped away. And in a spiritual sense, yes, that's true. But in a very natural, emotional, uh, mental sense, those things stay with you. And so I've experienced, you know, I think there's eight major traumas. I've got seven, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, physical, sexual abuse, um, you know, abandonment, uh, uh, all kinds of crazy things I can go on and on. And I had a kid brain when most of that stuff happened and a kid brain doesn't know how to process that. And so I grew up learning how to stuff that stuff away and not deal with yep. it and finding coping mechanisms in order to deal with it. And, and, and the biggest thing I would say, I, I tell this story often is imagine soldiers going to war and being afraid of being blown up by uh, bombs. And so what some of them had done is they had welded metal to the bottom of their Jeeps to keep the Jeeps from blowing up. Well, you know, home base calls in and says, hey, you guys cannot weld that stuff onto the Jeeps. That's not what they were made for. That's that's breaking protocol. And they're saying, well, how else are we going to survive? And so there's this tension yeah. of I, I don't know how I'm going to survive. And them saying, but that's not how you're made. And so we've got to figure this out. And I think God is saying, hey, I see you trying to weld success and weld achievements and weld all these things onto you in order to feel whole and to feel healed. But that's not how you were designed. There's another way uh, for you to find healing. And uh, and that has been the journey that I've had to endure, um, you know, over the last few years. Yeah. And I I appreciate your openness and your authenticity around that. And yeah, you're right. We all got different things we try and weld on or weld over. And that healing work of Christ is pulling that off so that we can get to the deeper, better work. Why, why do you, you know, for, for folks, you know, for followers of Jesus who have access to a God who refers to himself as healer. I mean, this is, I am a healer. Why do you think folks of faith are either so afraid or so resistant to talk about trauma, to talk about wounding, to t- whether it's capital T trauma, whether it's lowercase t trauma, it's just the church seems to be one of the last places, safe spaces to actually experience that healing work. Why do you, I mean, this is just me asking you, why do you think that is? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's funny to me because Jesus chooses a lot of characters to follow him in the 12, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you, you have some zealots and then you've got these other folks who, you know, I call Herodians. Herodians are probably more like us Americans now. We're very ingrained in our culture. We're very influenced by it. And I think because we live in this microwave society, this kind of manifest destiny mindset where we can make things happen, we believe that if God isn't working on our time at our pace, that somehow he's ineffective and we can figure out a better plan. And the reality is God's never late. We're just impatient. Yes, that's right. right. <laughs> and so, um, 
I think part of the problem for us is we're so ingrained in our culture, we're not tapped into the to the world and the kingdom culture that we should be tapped into, yeah. which is not allowing us to see him as a healer or a restorer or a transformer. Um, we're, we're just like, hey, I tried you. You didn't work. Let me go figure this out because that's what I do in every other aspect yeah. of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that healing work can, is often, if not always, slow and messy and, you know, two steps forward, three steps back. And you're exactly right. I think, you know, the, even Western church culture is, you know, it's all about, you know, moving forward and, and God, you know, God's got a plan. He's going to bless you. And, and that slowing down, that giving space is not easy to do, but it's essential to do if we're going to create safe spaces for, for healing for all of us. I know that, uh, you know, this last year, you know, in a really unique way over this last year and a half, our world walked through a type of trauma or compounded traumas. You know, you have obviously a pandemic, you have financial crisis, you have a racial reckoning on top of that, you have an election, an insurrection. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, how you can stack the deck any more than it was over the last 18 months. And I, I think we were talking the other day, I think folks are carrying trauma or traumas in them without maybe even realizing or knowing what to do with it. And I think what, you know, now that more and more places have opened up this summer and, you know, we're seeing the, we're seeing the work of the vaccines and everyone's like, cool, we're back to what it was and we're gonna go to the beach or we're gonna make all the mistakes that we didn't get to make for a year and a half. You know, I think we're missing some of maybe what the, the pain or trauma that we're holding and carrying. What would you say to those folks mm. who maybe aren't even aware that they're holding or carrying some form of, of trauma or wounding or weariness from this last year and a half? That's really good. Um, you know, I, I I remember when I came to that realization that I was carrying trauma and I, and the reality I found is that I was doing all these quote unquote devotional things, reading, praying, showing up, so on and so forth. But I, I, I found, and I wrote this in my book that I was more devoted to my devotion than to God. And, and, uh, and I was more devoted to what I was doing than what God was doing through and to me. And so I think when we can stop believing that we're good, you know, we can realize, hey, you know what? I see through a glass dimly and I need constant self-diagnosis. I need, you know, Paul says, you know, he's not even sure of himself in certain circumstances, right? Right. 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 And I think we need that that that's why we need each other obviously yeah, to, to do that yep. exactly that diagnosis um and then i also think we need more integration right um this should be a time where where we understand that psychiatrists and psychologists who love the lord are are tools for the kingdom are vessels for use and how can we integrate them into our congregations and our discipleship processes? And how can they begin to take responsibility to integrate themselves so that we can all benefit from the reality of, of this mental health? And I think it's something that we're just now scratching the surface on as a church. And once we really begin to open it up, I think we'll see healing in a whole different kind of way. Yeah, I agree. And that's, I hope, I hope so. And I hope 
it, wouldn't it be great if the church or people of faith were a source or a safe space for that kind of healing work, for people to maybe recognize for the first time what they're holding or what they're carrying, and then to find that their whole person is cared for, just like God says to love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, that their, their heart, their mind, their soul, their strength are loved and cared for by a spiritual community. Wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? So, okay, so let's stay on this and then we're gonna wrap it up because uh, let's, let's stay on this topic of the church because I know you have a few thoughts. Um, you, yeah. you, you know, you, when you came to faith, you know, you had some probably church exposure as a kid, but you know, when coming to faith, church was a big part, has been a big part of your life, of your family. Uh, for you, lots of times it's churches that were supporting your career and, you know, people that finding your music through that way. And yet you've been pretty honest that, you know, more and more you're realizing the church doesn't quite, the church as it is in this moment, maybe I'll put it that way doesn't quite feel like a fit or you don't quite feel like a fit for it. And I remember earlier uh, this year, back in the spring, you tweeted, uh, you were very clear. You said, I love Jesus, but I'm not churchy. I used to be embarrassed by that, but now I realize it's okay to love God, but not fit into church culture. And I wonder if you just kind of unpack that a little bit, like full disclosure, uh, this is a church, uh, so, but, 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 but I, I just so you know, who you're, but, I, but I resonate with that. I, I, there's at times where I feel at odds with that church culture. And I think you were real specific about that. Talk to us a little bit about that. What, what helped you realize that? What is it some of it where you just feel maybe at odds or out of place with church culture? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I think that um, church, the body, the people, the, the, the vessels that house the spirit of God um, is something that should be treasured, right? However, I think that we, specifically as Westerners, have created cultures around what that looks like that are not um, mandatory, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not mandatory to, you know, it's like, 40 years ago, maybe, if you didn't wear a suit to church, you were you were the devil yeah, right, incarnate, right, right, right? Right. And that's what church culture was at that point in time. Um, and it was kind of like, well, what if I don't wear suits? I don't like suits right. and they're itchy. Right, Am right. I now not a believer? Right. And and so now in, in 2021, you know, there are certain aspects of our Western culture that we sometimes make mandatory. There's such thing as traditions, which I'm I love traditions. But then there's traditionalism, okay. which says if you're not partaking in this, something's wrong yeah, with you. That's good. That's um, good. That's good. That's good. That's good. And so, you know, for us to be your authentic self and 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 allow that, allow people's individual cultures and and uniqueness to thrive. And and oftentimes what happens is, and I see this oftentimes with a lot of my white brothers and sisters, because you are the dominant. Um, culture in America, you're not even realizing you have a culture, Yeah. right? So it's kind of like, hey, you want to go to a baseball game? Um, I don't know if you know, but there's often not a lot of black folks at baseball yeah, games yeah, unless yeah, they're yeah, off, yeah, yeah. on the field. Right. I know you didn't know that, yeah, right. but that's because it doesn't, you don't realize yeah, that's don't a part of it. your culture. Yeah, yeah you don't even um, see it. Right. Yeah. And, and I think oftentimes us as Christians, we don't even see our culture. That's good, Lecrae. And so we're asking people to come into it and they're like, yo, this is, what is what this? Y'all you, know you're being weird right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, I just want to love on oh, you. What do you why, what do you mean love, love on me, me, man? What is I that? don't know what that means. I barely know man. you. 
Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's so, so true. Yeah, it's just no, understanding ourselves. Yeah, and we, and yeah, you're exactly right. We can get so caught up in all those, like we we were talking about earlier in this year at our church, like the side dishes versus the main course. We obsess on the side dishes and we forget about the main course, and and at the exclusion and hurt and harm of of others. So, uh, okay, so if you had a hope or a prayer or a dream for the local church in America today, like if you're like, man. I would just love to see it get this right. I'm sure you've got several, but what would one be for you? Like, I would love to see the church do this or be this. What would it be? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's so many words that are, have so many connotations that it's tough because when, if I say a word, people instantly think of this person or this thing. And, and so I would say this, I would I would hope that we would stress being followers of Christ. Most of us are fans. We got the t-shirts, we got the postcards, we got the posters, yeah. we know the songs, we know the cheers. Yeah, and, and And the church oftentimes, our, our Western institutions oftentimes will celebrate you being a fan. But being a follower is hard. Yes, it is. Yes, yes, being yes, a yes, follower is difficult. Being a follower takes community takes time, takes patience, takes wrestling, takes struggling. And, um, and so, man, I've been watching this series, The Chosen, and, and it shows what being a follower would have looked like historically. And I, and, I, and I like it for that reason. And so I would hope the church would stress, hey, listen, this is not an easy task. And that's why we need each other. And that's why we're, we're, we're walking with each other and holding on to each other and wrestling and struggling together. Man, I love that. And I, I mean, that is, because I think not only, you know, have, have we become fans of Jesus versus followers of Jesus, we've become fans of types of churches or fans of celebrity leaders or fan, and we have just kind of missed the whole mark of, of that work. I mean, you know, you have a ton of fans, but you're like, okay, great. I'm trying to follow this savior who calls me to, to at times, you know, scary and uncertain places, but always for my growth and for his glory. And I think that for the church to be that place where we help each other actually follow Jesus, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be something? Man, <laughs> wouldn't that be wouldn't something? That be wouldn't something? that be something? <laughs> well, Lecrae, I, I am, I, we could talk on and on and on and on. I, I'm so grateful for you and for your voice. I mean, that really is why we do this teaching series. We, uh, I appreciate your voice on so many levels, behind the mic, off the stage, as a husband, as a father, as a leader. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful for, for your unique voice. And I bless and honor God for your unique voice and how you've taken the time to pour into our church here in Chicago and around the world. I'd love uh, if you would to, would you be willing to pray for us? Just kind of pray out this message as we kind of continue in our time together. It would be very meaningful to me if you'd be willing to do that. Absolutely. Be an honor. Be an honor. Oh, man. Um, well, Father, we are um, very grateful for you, for your, your love, which is unconditional, which uh, carries us through. Um, L- Lord, I'm thankful for some of the trials and tribulations that have arisen um, because, God, you've created some rocky paths or you've, you've shown us some rocky paths and oftentimes we ask for new paths instead of asking for feet to carry us through these paths. And God, um, and I think we're learning uh, 
that you are a provider of feet to get us through. You're, you're a provider of the tools and resources to move the rocks and to cut through the weeds um, instead of just giving us a whole new way, uh, a way around it or in a, a simple way. And God, we're thankful for that. Even as we sit here talking virtually, it, it's a it's feet for the path, God, uh, to, to break through uh, the distance, um, even though we are still connected. And God, I just, I'm grateful for uh, my brothers and sisters in Chicago and, and obviously globally um, who are wrestling right now and struggling and just trying to be all that you've called them to be. Uh, give them feet for the path. Give them strength. Give them the ability to endure um, and show them that they will come out stronger on the other side and that it was all worth it um, in, in regards to everything we've been battling and wrestling with, Lord. We love you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Man, thank you so much for your time. Can we thank Lecrae? I know you're going to hear this. There's standing ovations happening right now. Waves of applause. People are just going nuts. But no, really, man, thank you. We're so grateful for you and for your voice. Thanks for making the time. I'm honored. I appreciate you all. Thank you for, you know, what you're what you're doing and how you guys continue to serve and pour into people. It's, it's a blessing. Look forward to seeing y'all in yes, person. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you.